This morning, dear people of God, we're opening up God's Word again this morning in Mark chapter 1. And I mentioned this at the beginning, but we're making a little bit of a shift. A, a shift in the focus of who's, who, which character in the account that Mark tells us are we going to pay attention to. Uh, for the last four weeks, we've really tuned into, and we're going to continue to do this, the, 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 the kingdom-moving work of Jesus. Uh, he came after John was put in prison saying, hey, the, the time has come, the wait is over, God's on the scene, repent and believe the good news. And, and then he got busy advancing the kingdom. He went to preach in the synagogue and he threw a demon out. He, he, he healed people until late in the night. He, he kept preaching and teaching. He was praying about the kingdom and direction and so that when his disciples said, Jesus, we should stay here for a little bit longer, Jesus said, no, we have to keep going with the gospel. That's why I came. It, Jesus, you see this in the gospel, Mark. It's, it's this kingdom moving of Jesus. He keeps pressing forward. The shift that we're going to make is we're still going to have Jesus. Jesus is always the main attraction here at Mount Lebanon. But the shift we're going to make is we're going to pay attention to the disciples. And when I say disciples, I'm not narrowing it down to just the 12. In fact, as you get to know the disciples in Mark, they are like the anti-type of what you should be like. The disciples most of the time in the Gospel of Mark are doubters, disbelievers, uh, they're deniers, they're betrayers. They're not the example of what a disciple ought to be. But first we're going to, so well, we're going to come to them, don't worry, we're going to come to them. But first we're going to look at the leper. Today, that's what we'll look at the leper and what I would call one of the best prayers apart from the prayers of Jesus that you'll find in the Bible. We'll look at next week four friends who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And by the way, if you look at the bottom of the connect group, there's a, you actually have an assignment for next week. As you, come to, as you come toward next week, I want you to think about a friend, someone in your life that you really want to know Jesus. Uh, someone for whom you tear roofs apart so that it could just get to him. I want you to come next week thinking about that. And then the week after, we're going to look at the three disciples who Jesus saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. Uh, but today we're going to pay attention to the, the interaction between Jesus and the leper in Mark chapter 1. This is the gospel, and here at Mount Lebanon, because we respect the words and works of Jesus, I'll invite you to stand as we listen to these words. And then when we're done, because these are good words, I'll say that this is the gospel of the Lord. You're invited to say, thanks be to God. A man with leprosy came to him, to Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet... The people still came to him from everywhere. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
You may be seated. As we begin this morning, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. You invite us into God's throne room and you invite us to bend the ear of the king. Hear my prayer now and hear our prayer that the words that I share with your people today would be a mighty word, that it would come down and awaken faith and hope and love and trust in their hearts, that it would awaken a bold prayer life. Let the words of my mouth do that and may the hearing of these hearts May they receive it and hear it as an encouragement. May faith rise up in them. Let these words of my speaking and their hearing, let it all be pleasing in your sight, God. You are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't think that we believe in prayer. I know that's a little bit of a strange thing after I just prayed a prayer. And, and, I, and I, maybe you're thinking in your mind that pastor's saying this for a little bit of shock value, and, and perhaps I, have, I am because now you're paying attention, maybe more intently to figure out what am I actually getting at. But I don't know, I don't think, and prove me wrong, I don't think that we believe in prayer. Or, or maybe it's a little bit more like the man in Mark chapter 9 who said, Lord, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I don't know if we believe in prayer. I say that because of sometimes the way that we speak about prayer. A lot of times, just think about an interaction that you have with people in your lives where they tell you something's wrong and what's the customary response? I'll pray for you. Right? It's what we do. And yet, what what do we mean when we say, I'll pray for you? I hope that we mean we'll actually pray for you. But I wonder if more often what we actually mean is, man, that really stinks. I hope that gets better for you. It's a little bit more like, I wonder if it's sometimes it's a little bit more like the thoughts and prayers that we kind of post on Facebook when somebody says, my life is going to pieces, thoughts and prayers, prayer emoji. It's almost like prayer has become a way to say somebody, let me give you a warm hug right now. I'm with you. I empathize with you. I feel your pain. I also say it because we say that, but I wonder how often we do that. When we say to somebody, I'll pray for you, do we actually? Or do we just go on with our merry way and we've offered this pious thought to them, but we haven't actually done something about it? This is why part of why I say, I don't know if we believe in prayer. Not fully. Not as the gift that God has given it to us as. I also say it because of sometimes the way that we pray. And I know I've said this before, but I'm going to lean into it a little bit today. We're so wimpy in our prayers. So wimpy. We we use periods and question marks, but I want you to think for a minute of the way our littlest, the littlest people in our lives talk to us. They don't use periods or question marks, they use exclamation points. When my kids are trying to get my attention, it's loud, it's shameless audacity, it's badgering, it's pestering. They won't stop until they at least know I've paid attention to them. 
It's, it's more cowbell. It's exclamation point because they want to be heard. And yet we kind of like measle our, weasel our way into prayer. God, would you please hear me? God, I know. I, would you please listen to what I'm saying to you? We're so weak and, and meek and mild. And there is humility that ought to be part of prayer. Hear, don't miss that part of this. But God invites us to come and pray with boldness. Here, here's the first fill-in. We need more exclamation points in our prayer. We need more boldness. We need more, let me say it, demands. Let me prove to you that that's the way the Bible teaches us to pray. It, it's really the way of the Old Testament. I want, think about Abraham for a minute. Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah, and there were questions, but there were also exclamation points. Far be it from you, God, that you would wipe out the righteous from the wick with the wicked. God, you can't do such a thing. That was not weak. That was daring to tell God what he ought to do. That was an exclamation point. And, and when Jacob wrestled with God all night long be, before he met his brother Esau, remember what Jacob said to God with whom he wrestled that night? It wasn't, God, would you please bless me? It was, I won't let go until you do. And when God wanted to wipe out Israel because they were worshiping the golden calf, Moses said, God, you can't do that. He dared to tell God his business. God, you can't do that because if you do that, know what everybody else say about you, you can't do that. And when Joshua was praying for the people, he dared to tell the sun to stop in the sky. Look it up. He said, sun, it was a command, exclamation point, sun, stand still. When God told Hezekiah he was going to die, get his house in order, Hezekiah came back and said, God, you know how, how I've been righteous before you. You know what I've done. I've been blameless and faithful before you all my life. That's all he said. The implication was, God, give me more time. It's exclamation point after exclamation point. The Old Testament is full of prayers that, that dare to demand that God would do certain things for them. And isn't that the way that Jesus teaches us to pray? I want you to think about the Lord's Prayer for a minute. I thought about actually doing this in the bulletin. But pay, think about the petitions to the Lord's Prayer as you pray them later. They are not requests. They, they are not statements. There are some statements in there. But they are imperatives. And what that means in the, for the grammar nerds out there, what an imperative is, is very, very close to a demand. So think. Make your name holy, God. Hallowed be your name. Give us, whoa, not please. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us, God. Deliver us, God. Lead us not, God. The Lord's Prayer demands, teaches us to make demands of God on the basis of his words and promises. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray that prayer, he also told them a parable about a friend. And this friend, he uses, in, 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 the pra in the explanation of the parable, Jesus uses a word to describe the friend who comes to his buddy in the middle of the night just throwing rocks at his window. He calls it shameless audacity. That's not a period or a question mark. That's a, hey, buddy, open up. Later on in Luke, Jesus tells another parable about a widow 
who's being treated unjustly by an unjust judge. And there the word, Jesus tells the parable because he wanted his disciples to pray and not give up. And so he tells this parable about the widow and the words that's used to describe this widow's approach to the unjust judge was dogged determination, boxing the ears, nagging. Like she's after him and she won't get, give up till she gets, it, she gets her prayer, her request answered. And Jesus says, if that's how it works in the world with an unjust judge, will not God for you. We need more exclamation points. And this leper, I'll get to, I'm here finally to the leper. This leper, this leper who approaches Jesus, you don't see exclamation points in the printing. But his very approach to Jesus is daring and bold. He, he shouldn't have got anywhere close to Jesus. If you don't know what leprosy is or what it does to you, let me just describe a little bit of it. It's a skin disease that eats your flesh. It destroys you from the outside in. So this leper, depending on how long he's been a leper, his, his, it's eating away at his fingers, so his hands, so he's maybe nubs. And it's eating away at his face, so he's disfigured. And because his flesh is rotting, he probably stinks too. So there's the physical destruction that leprosy brings on a person. Then there's the social isolation. Lepers weren't supposed to get anywhere close to people. They had their own, these are real things, they had their own leper colonies. Because people were afraid that they might catch it. It was a contagious thing. They, they were supposed to stand across the street. The closest they could get even to family members was, was far away. And their family members, if they wanted to bring them something special, they'd have to like set it out on a tray. And then they'd have to walk away so they wouldn't get too close. Socially isolated. And perhaps the worst part of this was not just the social, social, social isolation, but the separation from God. They were not just rotting from the outside in, they were actually spirit, they were considered spiritually unclean, far from God, separated from God. There is no way that this leper should have come anywhere close to Jesus, but where is he? At Jesus' feet, maybe even grabbing his feet. And then praying what I would say this, this perfect prayer: if you are willing, you can make me clean. You have the ability. As we're walking our way through the Gospel of Mark, we're really early in the Gospel of Mark. But this account actually comes much later in Jesus' ministry. Mark isn't so worried about chronology. He's interested in pulling things together to show us things about how the kingdom of God works and moves, how Jesus does his ministry. So if this, file, if this, comes, this does come later in Jesus' ministry, so this leper, I want you to think about what he knows. Why would he dare to come fall at Jesus' feet, even though he never should have? Well, he knows what Jesus can do. I mean, he's heard by now about the demons that Jesus cast out. He's heard by now about the healing that Jesus did. He's, he's heard by now about all the miracles, all the works that Jesus has done. He's heard by now, so he knows that Jesus can. That's part of what he prays. If you can, right? If you are willing, you can. He, he's, that's a statement of fact. I know what you can do. He knows his ability. He also knows his care. He knows his character. He knows that Jesus is a man of compassion who cares for people. He's heard about that. 
He's heard about all the people who crowded to the houses where Jesus was. He's heard about all the people who came to Jesus. He's heard about the people who Jesus touched and fed. He's heard about how Jesus cared for people, how he loved them. He knows his, he knows his power, his ability. He knows his character. And, and remember this, he's a, he's a believer. He also knows the promises. He knows what the prophets said about this Messiah. He knows that the prophets said this about the Messiah, that a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He knows about this Messiah, that this Messiah, this Savior of the world, is, is coming to heal the sick, to make the lame leap like deer, to give sight to the blind, to give hearing to the deaf, to, to set prisoners free. He knew that. He knew that this Jesus was one. This Messiah was one who came to carry our weaknesses and bear, bear our sorrows. He knew all of that about the Messiah. He knew all of that about Jesus. The only thing he didn't know is what he would do. That's why I call it the perfect prayer. Because he comes boldly. He, he knows what Jesus can do. And he just says, if you are willing, he leaves it up to Jesus to do what he's going to do. He knows Jesus' power. He just doesn't know how Jesus is going to use that power. He knows Jesus' compassion. He just doesn't know how Jesus is going to be compassionate. He knows Jesus, the promises about Jesus. He, doesn't just know, he just doesn't know how they're going to be fulfilled. That's why he comes with such boldness. Now, I get it. I get why we're sometimes so wimpy in our prayers. And I say we because it's me too. I, I get why we're so wimpy. Because if you think about it, who are we to talk to God? Who are we? Who am I? And I'll say it a different way. How are, who am I to talk to God? God, the one who spoke and things came to be. God, who spoke and faith comes. God who continues to give us life and breath. You, you realize, don't you, that if God were to withdraw himself for even a moment, we, wouldn't, we would collapse to the floor. And, and we're just one among many. We can't even go talk to the mayor about what we want. And now, you want to, now we want to talk to God the creator and maker and ruler of the universe and tell him what he should do. I, I, I get why we're timid and afraid. And that's just, the, that's just the practical side of things. What about the sinful side of things? He's holy and we're not. We don't have leprosy, but we have something far worse. Leprosy is skin deep. Sin is soul deep so thoroughly infecting us that everything we think and say and do, it's, it's screwed up and tainted and ruined by sin. And now sinful nobodies want to talk to the perfect, perfect king and ruler of the universe? And then if somehow we're like, you know what, I think I can because Jesus tells me I can. I get why we're timid and afraid and we, we're nervous about talking to God, daring to tell him what he ought to do. 
But dear people of God, I want you to see Jesus today. I, I want you to see that Jesus closed the gap here. Imagine the situation. This, this man falls at Jesus' feet. He's, he's maybe even grabbing his feet. Jesus should have recoiled. Like, whoa, ugh, gross. He should have recoiled. He should have pulled back. He should have run away. But instead, what did Jesus do? The first thing that Mark tells us he did is he felt something. He felt compassion for the man. He, in his heart, he saw the man's condition and he cared about it. This was not some cold interaction between Jesus and this man. He cared about him. He first felt something and then he did something. He touched him. Don't underestimate that. This man who was unclean because of leprosy, unclean because of sin, who was standing right next to in the, in the personal space of Jesus, the Holy One of God, Jesus didn't back up. He leaned in, put his hand on him, and then he spoke. I am willing. Be clean. And, and, and with those simple words, Jesus fixed everything that was wrong with the man's life. He, he fixed his body so that his body was clean like that of a little boy again. His skin was perfectly clean, no more blemishes, whole and healthy again. His body was clean. He's restored to the community of people. No longer has to be in the leper colony. He gets to be with everybody else again. And more importantly, he's restored to the family of God. Go show yourself to the priest and bring the offering Moses required. That's what he told him. He told him other things too, but I can't bring that into the sermon because we get lost. If you want to know about that part, why Jesus told him not to, talk to me later. Everything about this man's life, he restored. I get why we're afraid to approach God with boldness and confidence, but I want you to see Jesus, how Jesus closes the gap. See today, Jesus care for you. He does not recoil with terror or horror at the way you look and especially with what you've done. He does not step away and say, I can't believe you did that. When he sees you in your suffering, when he sees you in your sin, he leans in. And through water, through word, he reaches out to touch you. Baptism is one of those ways that Jesus reaches out to touch us. It might not seem like much. You'll, you'll see Pastor Krieger do this in just a little bit. It doesn't seem like much. But what is God doing in that moment? He's granting new life. He's washing sins away. He's claiming people for the kingdom of God. Restoring them to the, to the community of God. Bringing them into the family of God. Jesus does not step back. He leans in and he cares about your life. There is no part of your life that's too small for Jesus to care about. There's no thing in your life that's too big for Jesus not to care about. There's no thing that you can ask of Jesus that he can't do. Do you hear me? This is the power of prayer. That you get to come to God 
with whatever it is and ask Him for it with exclamation points. With exclamation points. And He can know this. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 3. He can do more than we ask or imagine. So, know this. Here's the final fill-in. In prayer, you have the ear of the king. You're invited in prayer to come into God's cabinet. And in prayer, you get to sit down with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you get to become their advisor. So, bend God's ear like Abraham. Dare to tell God his business. Far be it from you, God, to do such a thing. Bend God's ear like Hezekiah. God, I'd like more time. Bend God's ear like Joshua who told the sun to stand still. Bend God's ear like Moses. Bend, you get the point. Bend God's ear. Yes, it's true. God reserves the right to make the final call. Absolutely. But bend God's ear boldly with exclamation points and then wait to see what he's going to do. Amen? Amen. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.